0: Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. This is part two of our look at 90s classic cult hit, Game On. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you probably should. We've already looked at Ben Chaplin and how he went to back America. We've also started going through our specific episode that we're focusing on. That is series two, episode two, Slime Surfers and Monkeys. That's the name of it. That's what we're dealing with today and we're going to get right back into it now.
1: Okay, now we've jumped around in our episode a little bit here, haven't we? But I think with good reason. So let's let's go back to where we were. So we've got these three storylines playing out for our characters. Martin's is not much of a arc, as you said. It's just he shags. We've talked about Matthew and this kind of uh, gay psychologist storyline. So let's focus on Mandy for a bit. She's having an Italian class. Has that ever explained why she's going to Italian lessons? I don't
0: think so. She's always learning something. She just likes to learn. She likes to be okay. learning all just the time. so that we could
1: things. get a... Handsome, swarthy Italian actor. Yeah, I, that, well, I
0: don't know if he's an Italian actor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> handsome, swarthy Italian character. Who plays him? I didn't look that well, up. I'm not him. sure, but his name's Oliver Hayden, a beautiful Italian name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and please. his accent is a little bit
1: on the uh, standard side. So Mandy's trying to be celibate. She goes to this class, their eyes meet, and in in the next scene, she appears at home she's in the kitchen with martin and she's like marco's here he's come home with me i can't get rid of him and she just she just doesn't know how to say no and martin suggests why don't you just say no and she's like well i can't he's in the flat now <laughs> it will look so rude <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it, this scene's interesting because it really plays mandy as this idiot who like doesn't understand this basic concept and, and mandy is not that character at all this is it's, this very right. much feels like a scene that's been written for the for the gag and it's fine but yeah, it's not really who Mandy is. Mandy is very intelligent and, and that's kind of the whole yeah. purpose of her character is that that side of her is overlooked by so many. But she is,
1: she, I'm going to use this phrase and I'm not sure if it's appropriate. Mandy is sexually incontinent. Like, she, you know, she's, that's her, her default is that she will just have sex with someone because that's, mm. that's, that's easier than the awkwardness of saying no. He asked if he could walk me home after class and I said he could, so he did. And then now he's here in the flat. Well, why didn't you just say no then? I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, Martin, I can't get used to this celibacy stuff. What am I gonna do? So calm down,
0: Mandy, calm down. You don't have to sleep with him.
1: But he's in the flat now. <laughs>
0: And even when she knows it's a bad idea, and that's why she takes this vow of celibacy. It's like, all right, look, if I want to get ahead in my career, I need to stop shagging with everyone because I shag everyone and then I have to leave the workplace because it's awkward. Yeah. So, you know, it's like that sort of vibe. So it's all or nothing for sex with, uh, with Mandy until she's going with nothing for a while. She's going to see how that works out.
1: She managed to ex- she's snogging with Marco on the couch. She manages to extricate herself and says, no, you know, I'm, I've taken a vow of celibacy. Something is lost in translation despite the fact that Marco's an, uh, an Italian teacher and presumably lives in London. He doesn't understand yeah. celibacy and he, he misinterprets this as she's a virgin, which obviously he's delighted about because that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird thing, isn't it?
0: There's a long uh, list of one-off episode characters uh, that Mm -hmm. Mandy's conquests uh, uh, throughout the series. And I think Marco is probably the most two-dimensional one of the lot. Uh, I actually think they they do quite a lot with character stuff of like Dave Hill for example uh, is a per- fascinating character there's the there's the rage the boxer played by david herwood yeah exactly yeah i like the the, the ben chaplin Matt character he he's taken a message over the phone like well did he leave a name i, I don't know something northern arthur Blackpudding or something like that <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's my go to northern name now. <laughs> These characters that um you know, nicely well-defined characters and in sort of interesting, even though they don't do much. I think Marco is a bit of an exception to that. He sort of just comes in as quite a bland Italian Lothario kind of character. Not very interesting. Mm -hmm. But, But generally speaking, they do those characters very well. And then we got, you got people like Eddie Marsan comes in for one episode and, and yeah. some nice little guest, guest roles, actually. Yeah. This, this one didn't do much to me for me. It sort of crosses over into the next episode as well, where it sort of gets resolved, but it feels like a half baked subplot to puff things up a bit we're very much focusing on the jason storyline here i feel yeah yeah and, and and like i say even martin's sort of side plot in this one is just a continuation of what we're going to see later on yeah again that's another change they made in in the sort of the transition between series they they bring in claire so martin's girlfriend mm-hmm. we have jason for a few episodes these kind of things that are just not its not like these long-running plot lines, but it's just like, okay, we've introduced a new character, it's a girlfriend, and that can just bubble under. We've just got that going uh, on. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think they are long-running plot lines. You, you can argue about how good they are, but, but they are. There's a, a cross-episode storylines.
0: I suppose what I mean is we're not, we're not working to an end goal. It's just, it's just, uh-huh. we're bringing a new character and it's the relationship thing. Yes, they might split up. Yes, they might have a baby. They might get married, whatever. But we don't know where we're going with it. It doesn't feel like yeah. there's a plan there. It's just a new character. Do you
1: think that the, one of the rationales for this is that having written one series of three people inside a flat, you're kind of running out of ideas and you need to introduce new characters. Especially when one of them
0: can't leave the flat, yes. Exactly. Yes, I do think there is an element of that. And I also think in series three, we do start to get, right, we have six episodes. We're going to tell a story across six episodes. We're Hmm. working towards something.
1: Well, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we come back to series three, because we've almost finished our episode. So let's do okay. that,
0: and then we'll, we'll talk about series three, because I,
1: I agree that it, it's very interesting. So, basically, the, we have another scene with, uh, Marco brings round white flowers for Mandy, mm-hmm. a symbol of your virginity. Uh, let me do that in the yeah. accent. Yeah. A symbol of uh, your virginity. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you think that was insulting, that was better than his. And, uh, and he's, he's a bit insulted by the fact that she's living with these two boys. Oh, it's okay, they're old friends. Yeah, we knew her before she was a virgin, which is a good line. That's <laughs> a good, a good, good line. joke. Yeah. <laughs> Good joke. And then the final scene is Martin and Mandy, are, oh, they want a beer they open the, the fridge, we'd better ask Matt if we can have a beer walk into Matt's room and there they are, the lights are off him and Jason are under the covers with their tops off. Oh, I was just showing Jason what to do with girls I, know, I have no <laughs> idea what that means but um, yeah, that's kind of the visual punchline of the show.
0: I did like that scene though because, you know, Mandy's just like Oh my gosh. Martin is st- stunned silence. But yeah. what I really like about it is Jason's face. Because <laughs> obviously him and Mandy are friends. And Mandy's just looking at him like, Jason, what are you doing? And he just gives a look like, I don't know, what, what am I supposed to do? You know, he he, he said he <laughs> yeah. wanted to wrestle, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did like that. And that's just complete incredulity to the whole thing. I like it as a nice little punchline to the episode. I feel like you could easily have finished that there, wrapped that up. You don't need to bring Jason back they mm-hmm. do for the next couple of episodes yeah. they kind of they drag that out they a drag bit it out. and not you know not in I say drag I mean I think it works but what's the the really kind of brutal thing about it all is that Jason encourages Matt to go out helps him go out and and he's progressing he's making real he real is. progress he actually goes out on his own at one point and it's like, yes, he's just going to just pop down the shops to get something. Right. And then while he's there, an armed (laughs) shotgun wielding maniac robs the shop. And then Matt is just like, well, I'm never going out again. It's like, just confirms all his worst fears. Yeah. I'm like, that is dark. That is dark. We we spent three episodes building this guy up, healing his mental health, and then just absolutely kick him in the head.
1: Actually, there are murderers everywhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's our
1: episode. What I would suggest that we do now is we talk about... We've talked about Matt.
0: Let's talk about what happens to the other
1: two characters over the course of the episode, the, the, the rest of the series two and three. Mm. Um, so first of all, let's talk about Martin. But before we do that, what about Matthew Cottle? What about the actor? Yeah. Again, look,
0: he's, he looks very young in this. He's not that young. He's born in 1967, so he would have been 28 when the first series oh, wow. came out. Maybe 27. If you'd have told me
1: 21, I would have...
0: I yeah, he's got a he's got that baby face. Obviously, you get yeah. cast as younger, but... This was his first notable thing, really. I mean, he's okay. done a fair bit of sitcom stuff. Well, I know he's in Citizen Khan, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. But he he went through Rado, sort of fairly typical drama student thing. He he's actually in Chaplin. You know the Robert Downey Jr. film. Uh, with really. about, okay. Well, it's, I think Richard Attenborough directed it, but, um, you know, with, he plays Stan Laurel in that, like the young Stan okay. Laurel with Chaplin when they go off to Break yeah. America together. So that was he's, you know, he's a young man there. Then, uh, Game On, that was the thing that made him, oh, that's that ginger guy from Game On. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's who he is. We've talked about this before. He did a show called Get Well Soon with Eddie Marson uh, which just oh, ran yes, for one course, series, yeah. but it was by, not about Golden Simpson, but by Galton. By autobiography. Galton by one of them. <laughs> I think it was yeah. Ray Galton, and uh, sort of semi-autobiographical about how they met. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's not a lot of sitcom stuff in between. And he's not become this big TV star or anything like that. But yeah. he's he's always worked. He's done theatre, and then mm. sort of the last ten years or so, perhaps done a little bit more. Like you say, he turned up as a as a, as a regular in Citizen Khan for a few years, yeah. and then. Over the last few years, he's also been a series regular in The Windsors, playing Prince Edward. I see. By the way, I watched an episode of Citizen Khan. Just thought, oh, I'll see what Matthew Collin in it. Never seen it. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, I didn't know much of anything about it, but it was bad. I won't get into it, but yeah, awful. I also watched an episode of The Windsors. I watched. They did a coronation special recently, so I thought I'll watch that, and that was pretty bad as all. <laughs> is that that the one with harry anfield yes yeah he's one of the better elements of it but it yeah it just feels like a grotesque like it's, it's difficult to make me feel sort of feel sorry for the royal family but that watching the winds has made me feel sorry for them because it's just a grotesque depiction of them something that absolutely they are not yes it's not satire it's not taking reality and perversing it it's just making up a load of crap and making these caricature idiots characters anyway Poor comedy out there, and Matthew Cottle appears in some of it, but it seems to do mostly theatre and mostly straight acting. From what I can tell, he's not particularly okay. um, a comedic guy. Looks kind of good, I think. I feel like he's aged in. He? He's like in his fifties now, but he's, he's got mm-hmm. kind of cool, he looks graying, graying hair kind of guy. He looks, he looks cool. Yeah, okay. So what happens with Martin then
1: is we know that he's now going out with Claire and they shag, mm-hmm. and inevitably she leaves him, and then mm-hmm. we discover a little bit of time later that there's a baby and he's become a father and then there's a whole there's a whole thing in the third series about how she's got an Australian boyfriend she wants to move to Australia and uh, he gets a real bitter horrible divorce lawyer who sort of says she can't she can't take him to Australia we'll take her to the cleaners and I'm like well this is a horrible character, but
0: he's actually right. It is unreasonable yeah, that's, for her to take your child to Australia. That is a re- It's a really interesting way they develop that plot line because we see Martin going out with Claire in the Series 2 and she seems like a lovely person and all this. And then mm. when they break up, it turns sour martin becomes obsessive he starts to do you know like he's bothering her at work and stuff like that and he's doing quite unpleasant things but nothing like a bit stalkery like you know he's following her home from work but she's not threatened by him because she understands like he's not a threat but she's bothered by him and she and he needs to get it into his head and and i think it's it's interesting playing with that character i don't think we get a very good resolution to that because what happens ultimately is he just leaves her alone and then you know Nine months later, or whatever, ten months later, whatever, bumps into her and she's got a baby. And Mm. yes, it's a ginger baby, so obviously it's his.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's funny. The big reveal: the baby's got (laughs) a hat on, and uh, Mandy says, "Oh, what a lovely baby!" We'll take his hat off. No, don't take his hat off. (laughs) He's just got this mop
0: of red hair, and everyone's like, "Uh, uh, uh." And then that, the way that progresses is, yeah, like the way Claire treats him is really quite horrible. And, and he's always making excuses for her uh, because it's the mother of his child and he mm. wants to maintain this relationship with his child. He's, and he's ecstatic that he's got a child, but then it's like, well, she's going to take it away. Like she can't just run off to Australia with his baby. You're, right, have you're right. The character,
1: life. the character of Claire is obviously only an incidental character to our main plot, but she completely changes completely changes even when she splits up with Martin it's it's reasonable you know it's not working out and she's she's relatively kind about it but yeah when as soon as the we get this baby
0: jeopardy the character's completely different why would she go to australia why w- why would she hide the pregnancy for him in the first place like mm-hmm. to kind of not give him access at all then she's like okay well i suppose i should and then and yeah and then they, we have this divorce lawyer character yeah not well, not a divorce, I guess, but like a you know a father's rights kind of i'm gonna get access to my kid, I need a lawyer sure and the the lawyer is such a sort of stupid, caricatured character who's so bitter about his own divorce that it makes it seem like Martin's being unreasonable with his demands of being able to have access to his child, and if she mm. goes off to Australia, he will not have access and and it's this the show seems to want us to think that you know what, he's just going to have to accept that, and that's okay. I'm like, no, I don't know about that.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's an
0: odd one. It's a very unusual kind of way they go with that. And this is what I say about Series 3. They, they kind of have these plot lines that they're working towards an end goal. So the other one being Mandy's marriage, which we'll deal with in a second. But, but yeah, I, I don't think it works.
1: Well, you mentioned Mandy, so let's move on to her. And uh, well, you mentioned Mandy's marriage. So let's, well, let's do what we did with uh, Matthew Cottle. Why don't you tell us about Samantha Janice first?
0: Janus or Janus? I think Janus is probably correct, but it has anus in it. So it's... Not I rem- good. Yeah, I
1: remember hearing her talk about this at the time that it's Janus, not Janus because she doesn't want to sound like anus. <laughs>
0: yeah, fair enough. Um, so she's from like quite a theatrical family and uh, her grandmother was um, a choreographer, I think. So she, she's kind of mm-hmm. in the business, brought up in the business. It ended up going to stage school as a as a teenager. And I guess uh-huh. if you're at, a good stage school as a teenager, yeah. opportunities may arise, such as...
1: Opportunity knocks. Well, now this is the <laughs> revelation of the last fortnight for me. Yeah. You sent me the clip of Samantha Janus performing Britain's entry to the 1991 Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. Who knew? I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> believe it was real. And it cuts to her singing, and it's her on the stage. Ooh. It's the Eurovision Song Contest, Samantha Janice. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe yeah. it. And then as if that wasn't the big enough surprise, she starts singing, and oh, no, it was bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And a, see, part of the Eurovision Song Contest, you've got to perform live in front of all those people. And yeah, I don't know if yeah. she was on an off day or what, but it was it was not a good performance. And have the world, have too much.
0: I heard her talking about this, and it, and she said she was just brought in as like she was a kid. She was like seventeen, eighteen, and someone said, "Do you want to come and do this song? Like come into the studio, sing this song." Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Like it was like a session, uh-huh. you know, a studio session. I sang it, and they were like, "All oh, right." And then all of a sudden, she was like in the Eurovision Song Contest. It wasn't like. Some nice. big thing that she was building up to. She was just a pretty face who could sing, and they're like, oh, let's put her in it. Okay, that's like she was just a front for it.
1: But it's it's amazing. Like, I'm, I'm not a Eurovision guy. Like, it's not. I'm not really all that interested in it. But I can't believe I didn't know she'd done this. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't na- I couldn't name you every British Eurovision entry. But someone who's been in a
0: sitcom that I liked, I would. How did I not know that? Yeah, it does feel like it's a different world, a different sort of life to the rest of her career, doesn't it? She, I got the impression from things she said that that experience sort of pushed her towards acting rather than singing. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah. laughs> but she's done a lot of musical theatre over the years, like a lot. Uh, that's probably been you know one of her mainstays. So she can sing. Yeah, you know, it's just uh, you know the circumstances obviously weren't were in her favour there.
1: So the, that that's the pre-game on career. So Now, mm. you remember earlier I said that we were debating whether Game On or Men Behaving Badly was the, the archetype 90s sitcom. Well, there is one more candidate, which is the next thing
0: she did, Babes in the Wood.
1: <laughs> have you seen any of Babes in the Wood?
0: I have, yeah. And I, well, I have watching watching When I finally recently. kind of looked into this, I was shocked that Babes in the Wood came after Game On. I kind yeah. of in my head, I, just because of what it is, I thought that must be earlier. Whereas Game On, we're talking about, it feels like it's doing something to being progressive in some way, mm. in its own mid 90s way. Babes in the Wood feels like a 1970s show that has been <laughs> updated.
1: Yeah, I mean, Babes in the Wood, if our listeners haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's on YouTube, you can go and see it. But it's um, talk about a 90s cast Samantha Janice and Denise Van Alten. And then yes. uh, with, Nat- with Natalie Walter. So basically Mandy's moved out from Matthew and, and Martin and she's moved in with two lasses. <laughs> and the first episode is basically Samantha Janus's character really embarrassed because she's accidentally had a one night stand with Jacko off of brushstrokes, Carl Ham
0: <laughs> and much hilarity ensues. Uh,
1: it, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's very nineties.
0: <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's a newly divorced like bloke and he's lives next door to these three young women. Uh-huh. And hilarity ensues. That's it, right? <laughs> that is it. That is the setup. <laughs> yeah. And even Samantha Janice, she, she bailed after the first series. They replaced her character with someone else. So that's Samantha Janice's 90s, from Eurovision to Babes in the Wood. Well, you know what, though? Let me ask you, right? Is Samantha Janice was she like a perfect fit for that FHM generation, the loaded mm. generation, where it was a little bit smutty? And you would go and do a photo shoot of you in some pants, and it would be in the magazines. Yeah, yeah. but it was almost like, oh well, that's empowering to do that. Um, and you, you use your body while you got it and make some money off it, right? Yeah. But I've got a lot of time for Samantha Janice. I think she's a really good actor. And it sort of raises her above that slightly. It raises her above the glamour models of the time. It was, and, mm. and that's what the FHM and loaded was kind of doing. It wasn't just, it wasn't just like, oh, like Jordan, look at these lovely pair of Bristols, right? It's, it's more about like, oh, here's a celebrity, you know, and she's interesting. Here's an interview. Oh, and here's and her in her pants. Yeah, that was the, that, That's the
1: problem, isn't it? You can't. You there wasn't. There was no. There were no articles in Loaded about talented actresses without pictures of them in their pants. That's the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it is a curious little period of history. But like I said, was Samantha Janice the sort of perfect fit for that? She just had the right look. She's definitely the right the time. A, a good, act, a good, strong attitude. Her and Denise
1: Van Alten. They, they, they're, they're, yeah. they're your two. They're your two ladettes.
0: That's what I mean. I think Samantha Janice, and it comes across in the Mandy character as well, never feels like she's a victim. It feels like she's strong, she's mm-hmm. empowered, and she's in charge oh, yeah. of what she's doing. And I think that...
1: Listen, that's far, far what... be it from me, uh, to, uh, to, as, a, as a middle-aged white man, to tell women how to be feminists. You know, I don't I, I mean, I mean that. I... I like you say yeah. one person's empowering stance is another person's exploitation isn't it
0: do they still have those magazines that sort of thing still exists.
1: no no it's all uh, it's all digital now isn't it is analog porn still a thing
0: hey do while you bring that up actually that was the other thing that really struck me about this being set in the 90s yeah like the, i know what you're gonna to say matthew's
1: like... got a copy of club international they're looking at yeah. porn magazine <laughs> old fashioned analog porn
0: yeah and he's always like oh look it's um, surfer babes is on in a minute which is like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's yeah, like yeah. oh yeah that's that was highlight television Going to be women in in bikinis running around. you got to watch that. Yeah, you
1: see, if Game On was made now, yeah, he'd just have a laptop and a wrist support. <laughs> right. So, so that's the Janice '90s. Yeah. Now, all I know about her since then is that she did a shift in EastEnders. Mm, so, hell of a I, but yeah, I don't watch EastEnders. So, tell me the post '90s
0: Janice story. Well, at the same time as doing Game On, she was also a regular in Pie in the Sky. You know that okay. show, Richard Griffiths, That's that? the guy, yeah, yeah. She was actually in the pilot of The Grimleys. She was in the pilot of that, but didn't do the series when they eventually made it a couple of years later. Amanda Holden took the role. Oh, okay. But she was in that, did Babes in the Wood and, and sort of left that. And then it's there was a sort of a period where... I know she went away and kind of had kids and sort of did that for a bit. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think she ever stopped working, but you know, her focus changed and shifted. Yeah. But EastEnders, yeah. EastEnders gave her the opportunity to have slightly more stable career and income while she was raising mm-hmm. kids. So it was an, it yeah. was quite a good choice yeah. to have that way. Oh, okay. I've got the same place every yeah. day. I know what hours I'm going to be doing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like, she started in that from 2007 to 2017 but then okay, there was a gap in the middle of a few years where she wasn't in it. She kind of went away and came oh, back. I see. She was a Mitchell, one of the Mitchells, like long lost cousin or something like that. Get out of my pub! And then mostly recent, yeah, it's musical theatre, including like to to now. Yeah. Um, she's recently played Morticia Adams in the Adams Family. Denise Van Elton was a musical theatre as well, wasn't she? Well, they went to the same stage school, don't you know? Oh, of course. They did, yeah. I see. Morticia Adams. Uh, yeah, which, like, obviously you can put a black wig on her, but, like, that didn't, that didn't seem obvious casting. Like, I wouldn't think of her yeah. as a Morticia, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then, most recently, in The line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she was in that. And she's playing the witch, presumably. The, Lion, the, witch, the Wardrobe, I think, she's playing, yeah. She's, uh... <laughs> she's still out there. She's still working. She's... Samantha Womack now has been Mm -hmm. since sort of 2000s. So, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Samantha Womack. As I say, I think she's really good. And I've seen her do a couple of proper, like, hardcore dramatic stuff as well, and I think she's a great actor.
1: So, Mandy, in the third series, meets another man who she works for, and it turns out he doesn't just want to get into her pants. He really likes her. And she ends up uh, engaged to him and planning to marry him. And in the final episode, they're about to get married, and he, he... I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. He dies on the way to the church. Yeah. Which is a very game on way to round that off.
0: Yeah, first of all, let's establish this character. He's just this very rich, posh kid who's been given a job to keep him busy by his father. Went to Eton. Went in the Marines. He's nice. He's a lovely, nice boy. But the way that their relationship develops is he, she's been brought in as his secretary. And he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Take a letter. uh, uh." And... The way they really get together is he finds out that she's in serious debt and needs money so he just pays it for her. Yeah. It's very much like to it's it's such a large amount to her but to him it's just like oh sign a check whatever doesn't matter. But he does it because he likes her. He, he likes her as a person but he yeah. fancies her as well. That's a very blurred line of that, yeah, that, but that sort they, they address the that. they address that yeah.
1: she she wonders do i really love this guy am i just in it for the money if i am is that
0: okay she mm. really does explore that and and the, we never really get an answer to that she's going to her wedding and going am, am i making the right decision here I, i'm having lost last minute nerves. is it just last minute nerves or am i really thinking this should- oh he's dead
1: that's like how i used to write essays <laughs>
0: <laughs> off screen off screen death yeah it's a very brutal ending. It doesn't. It doesn't feel justified at all. It doesn't feel satisfying at all. Mm-hmm. I, I Yeah, I must admit that the, the, the reason I wanted to do an episode from the second series is because I feel it's when it hit its peak. The first series is a different tone. Dark. It's dark. It's brooding. Uses loads of dream sequences. Actually, really does a yes. lot of that kind of stuff to we get you out about of that. the flat. Right. Series two is where they feel like it's found its feet. It's found a lighter tone, and it's just fun. Mm-hmm. And then series three just feels like it's. Got that, but it's run out of ideas. Uh, that's kind of where, how it feels to me, and I okay. think that's how the writer felt as well, which is why it kind of comes to an end at series three. And the and the writers, this is probably the most interesting writing combination we've ever seen. We we talk a lot about writing pairs yeah. uh, on on the show in terms yeah. of sitcoms, and you know, often they have long standing relationships. This is not that at all. Mm. Basically, the writers are Bernadette Davis, uh, who mm-hmm. is a woman a woman so straight away that's unusual even in the 90s that's a little bit unusual especially as this is not a written for women show it's not a, No, it, it's not. this was a show about three women sharing a flat in london oh and yes. a, the middle-aged man who lives next door maybe yes. <laughs> maybe you could write that <laughs> hang but, on mate. who wrote babes in the wood <laughs> not not a young woman i assure you of not that, that middle-aged yeah. men wrote that <laughs> yeah. um so, Bernadette Davis, I haven't managed to find a date of birth for her or anything like that, but I think she's a fairly young woman, and she seems to come from a little town and then move to London. Um, okay. Like, I think this is very kind of autobiographical. Oh, maybe not autobiographical in terms of characters, but it's kind of based on her experiences, if you know what yeah. I mean. it's She's been through that in the same way that you have, and in a similar way I have. Mm-hmm. So she's writing what she knows. I think having that female writer there adds a lot to our character of Mandy. I think that makes that character a lot more interesting than perhaps uh, it, it would have been otherwise. And then the other writer is Andrew Davis. No relation. Mm. Different Davis. And when the show was made it was in his late 50s. And he's, he was already by then an established writer. He's an old hand. What Because so, I feel like I know that name. I'll tell you what he hasn't done in most, <laughs> almost all of his career is sitcom. This is pretty much the okay. only sitcom thing on here. Doesn't really do comedy. He's best known for writing adaptations of period dramas, okay. such as the famous Pride and Prejudice from the mid-90s that introduced us to uh, a moist Colin Firth. The Bridget Jones films, he was involved in writing those. Oh, gosh, that might be it. That might be where I know he's With Richard for. Curtis and um, the woman who actually wrote the books and the series you know the series house of cards yes so he that most recent series he isn't he didn't write that but he wrote it's a it's a novel he wrote a mini series mm-hmm. based on that novel in the 90s and then the tv series more recently is adapted from that so he's credited as a producer on the most When recent you said series. the series house of cards i was thinking of yeah the, the 90s british one not the right yeah, at all. right yeah well the big kevin spacey one that they did recently yeah He's been a producer on that, so I think he's probably getting to a little touch of back end off that in his retirement years. I think he's probably doing all right. He's written novels, including the Marmalade Atkins books. Brilliant. I I, I used to love Marmalade
1: Atkins books. That's where I know this name from, isn't it? Right. I had those probably. books on my bookshelf when I was a kid. I
0: bet that's where the name has seeped into my brain. Probably. Yeah. But not sitcom, really. No not Not comedy, particularly. And... I don't know how this came together. The obvious thing would be, okay, look, we've got this young woman. She's got this great idea. We want to make it. She's never really written structure of sitcom before. So yeah. let's get an old hand in to write with her. But he is credited as co-deviser as well as co-writer in the credit. Interesting. So that doesn't quite tally, does it? it sounds like she came to the BBC with a half-formed idea. Yeah, but he's not even an in-house BBC guy necessarily. He's certainly no. not the go-to guy for sitcom. I think this would be a good time to bring in Hattrick Productions. Mm, yeah. Uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with that name.
1: When I think of Hattrick Productions, the first thing that comes to my mind is whose line
0: is it anyway? Yeah, so that was one of their first big successes. So Hat-Trick Productions mm. is the production company that made this show, Game On, uh, for the BBC. And so I just sort of take the opportunity to do a little side note here, mm. a sidebar into Hat Productions, because they've got such a legacy of sitcom, as well as other things. But it was actually formed in the mid-80s with uh, by Jimmy Mulville. Jimmy Mulville's kind of the brains of the oh, operation. He's been, he's been behind it the whole time and still is. Chelmsford 123, there's your sitcom link. Exactly, exactly. That was the first thing they did, Hattrick Productions. Oh, they made that as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was formed by Jimmy Mulville, Denise O'Donoghue, who and they were a couple at the time, and Rory McGrath, who I know from they think it's all over in the nineties primarily. <laughs> but yeah. uh you know, obviously yeah. he was did yeah, he did sketch comedy and all that sort of stuff. And actually McGrath kind of moved away from it in they I think they all fell out in the nineties, but Jeffrey Perkins was involved in the company for a while, and mm-hmm. Jeffrey Perkins is a producer yeah. extraordinaire of sitcom, including yes. Game On. Yeah, uh, and he's a BBC guy, really. Is Jeffrey Perkins? But we, one of the first things they created was whose line is it anyway? Uh, It was based Mm -hmm. on a radio Mm -hmm. show, but the BBC weren't turning into TV. So they were like, well, right, we'll turn into TV then. That's fine. Have I got news for you? Similarly. Yeah. And Jimmy Mulville was a radio guy. He worked in radio. He was an actor as well, but he liked producing and he was a radio. Right. And Hat Trick has a lot of connections to Andy Hamilton. Yes. Andy Hamilton and his writing partner, Guy Jenkin. So Mm -hmm. they did Drop the Dead Donkey. More recently, they did Outnumbered, which is is their thing. Mm Mm-hmm. What's that radio program they did? Would that have been trick as well? Uh, yeah, well, Jimmy Mulville's in that. Mm-hmm. It, it, what's it called? He's the devil, right? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but yes. Jimmy Mulville as the professor. That's, that's Jimmy Mulville yeah. in that. Oh, God, I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, that thing where Andy Hamilton is the devil.
1: <laughs> Our listeners will be screaming at that. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, I don't know if they actually produced that, but certainly it's those guys, so it makes sense that they would produce it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A couple other things they've done. Father Ted. Yeah. Episodes. Oh yeah. Yeah. With Joey off her friends. Kate and Koji, mm-hmm. a more recent example. We've talked about that quite recently. Bromwell High, which was oh, an animated that? show in the late in, in the I remember the, 2000s. that it was the, remember the, Bromwell the, the High? Chav thing. They were all Chav. Yes, Chavs. yes. Yes. And a couple of the right I I really like that show. It's not I've got a bit of a soft yeah, spot. For I forgot I watched it, with it? I forgot But that. I wanted to bring that up because first of all. Some of the writers on that went on to create Citizen Khan, which is awful. Oh, okay. which, but when I saw the names of the credits, it gave me hope, and then it was it was dashed. But uh-huh. also, I want to bring this back to Bernadette Davis because the other things that Bernadette Davis has written, sitcom wise, in two thousand, she did a show called the, the Wilsons, which is like about this kind of council estate family. Okay. that's it, and it's not I don't good. Remember that? It, it did one series, and it did not do well, and and justifiably so. That was a Channel Four, and then more recently in twenty twelve, she did a show called Some Girls. Okay. which was posited at the time and if you watch it now you can see why as the female in-betweeners oh, okay. it's these four schoolgirls they're 16 and they're just doing their schoolgirl thing and there's a character in it the stupid one who is just Neil from the Inbetweeners. like if you took that exact dialogue and put it in Blake Harrison's mouth you would not even begin to question right. it
1: hello can anyone hear me I said I've met a boy who really likes me yeah me a boy likes me A really hot boy likes me. Are you sure? Yeah. You shagged him. No. So who is he? You see, that boy from geography can fit whole orange in his mouth. No, why would it be him? I don't know. I thought it might be. I tried to do that thing with an orange once, but it got stuck and I couldn't breathe and I thought I was going to die. And the guy from behind the meat counter had to get out with his pen. Mm.
0: But then the others are a bit more, you know, they're slightly different characters. But essentially, it's these four characters that don't really have much in common. They're, they're, but they are on the same football team. So that's how they know each other. And uh-huh. They're friends. I haven't watched yeah. a lot of it. So I don't want to judge it too much. So I watched one episode and. Yeah. But, but okay. what it reminded me of, the bits I saw, as opposed to the in betweeners, it reminded me of Bromwell High, the way they talk to each okay. other in that kind of chatty yeah, talk, yeah. in yeah. a kind of slightly silly way. But here's another connection for you Bernadette Davis is married to Guy Jenkin.
1: Ah, right. Who co wrote Drop the Hamilton
0: and is is a significant member of Hattrick Productions. I don't know when that happened. I don't know if they met through work because she was working with Hattrick and they then that's how they met. Possibly they met before. I don't know. I don't (laughs) so I don't but she's obviously still in that world. She's she's still ingrained in that that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Which makes it a lot Mm -hmm. easier to get your script pitched to a production company if you know them all personally. Indeed
1: yeah interesting so
0: yeah definitely one of the more bizarre writing uh, partnerships
1: I don't think I don't feel like we've really answered the, the origin story of Game On there if anyone's got no. any information that no. would be really good to, to know one thing I would like to talk about we talked briefly about the music especially in series one what about the titles the, the title yeah. music is Where I Find My Heaven by G- the Gigolo mm-hmm. Ants although that's not Britpop they're an American band
0: but Sunday morning so-
1: Secret I find my it's a powerful theme tune, though, isn't it? It's a really, you know, it's, a, again, of its time, but it's a, it's a
0: very striking theme tune. It's mm. not a little bit of background music. So use of a pop song for a theme tune is not mm. something we see a lot in British sitcom, really. But let's bear in mind, this, this show came out a year after Friends started. Mm. which has a very similarly upbeat, poppy yes. tune. Yes, good point. I think it's that influence. I think this is very much like, oh, look at this huge hit over in America last year. Let's do that. Okay, I, I can go along with that. It got into the charts because of its sort of use in popular culture like this. It got to mm-hmm. number 29 in the UK charts, Yeah, yeah which yeah. is one place higher than Samantha Janice's Eurovision song got, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What about the what about the sets? Have you got any sort of technical observations? The sets all I like the sets. They were very much you know film posters and uh, yeah, it it, it
0: felt familiar to me. Yeah, I think it's a really nice set actually. I think you know you've got the Reservoir Dogs poster up on the wall. If anything, they're a bit over decorated. Matt's room is just like covered in American paraphernalia and surfboard and stuff like that. Mandy's is a you know a little bit more. Well, feminine, obviously, but that kind of n- neat chaos <laughs> that you have to have if you yeah. have too many clothes to fit in your wardrobe and uh, all that sort yes. of stuff. Martin's room is the tiny little single box room, and it's just a dull little single bed, pathetic <laughs> thing that he has. I don't actually remember <laughs> seeing Martin's room. I'm sure you're right, but I yeah, it's definitely stuck it a in of my times. memory. Yeah, yeah. We, well, it's very small. Yeah, but the the other two bedrooms are really big sets, and we've got the living room as well, a bit too big for London life, but. You know, that's TV reality.
1: And again, you said, you said there are, there are sort of dream sequences. There are outside
0: broadcasts. They're not married to the set. You know, they, they do get out and about. They do. In the episode we looked at, we see Mandy walking into a school room uh, and the Italian teacher, 30 yep. seconds of no talk. They're just walking in and she's, it's that's just a, like, set. I don't think it is. I think that must be. A classroom that they went because oh, really? they literally they were filming in there. It probably took them an hour to do that. Get some extras in.
1: I, I did think I can't believe they've built this. But.
0: Yeah, I think I I, I assume that it is. We also see the kitchen set in our episode, which we kind of see occasionally. They do use it. Mm-hmm. It's got a and it's a it's a small kitchen with a little dining table in it, so we can use a two, that a
1: two seater table. Yeah,
0: I do like the bit in our episode here where <laughs> Mandy walks in and Martin's just laid on the table like exhausted. She's like, "Why are you on the table?" oh uh, we were shagging here earlier <laughs> like and she's just and she's fine with that she, she
1: doesn't even exp- she's just like rolls her eyes because oh my god he's going to talk about claire again she's not bothered about the fact that there's been sex taking place on the kitchen table for goodness sake she, she's pr- she's probably done it herself yeah she is well then game on the most 90s of sitcoms i think that this has aged perhaps the worst of anything else we've seen. And, and I think there's an element of, you know, you know, when you see, you see wedding pictures from the seventies and they look ridiculous because they've got seventies yeah. suits on. I have this theory that the cooler you are in the moment, the more ridiculous you will look later. Or, or to perhaps put that another way, the more of your time you are. The more out of time you are later. And yeah. I think that's the problem that Game On was so very much of its time that now it's really quite jarring. You know, if you think about, you compare it to some obvious things like Till Deathers Do Part. Maybe Game On feels worse to me because it's my time and it feels like we, I can't say hashtag different time when it's my time, you know? Mm. You mentioned In Between Us earlier. We, when we talked to In Between Us, we said that, you know, their behavior was abhorrent, particularly Jay. But you could kind of get away with it because they're kids, they're sixth formers. Mm. That doesn't work with Matthew because he is a horrendous human being. And, yeah. you know, every, every villain's got a, an origin story. We, we learn about his parents dying. We learn about the fear that he wasn't there. We get all of that backstory. But, but ultimately that's not an excuse for being a horrendous person. It's
0: interesting the Jay connection because that's what the second Matt feels like. It feels like Jay. Yeah. Ten years later, he's yeah. grown
1: up a bit, but he's still a dick. But that's no longer acceptable.
0: When you're 28, yeah. not 18, that's not acceptable anymore. But th- that's the difference between the second mat and the first mat. The second mat, it's all just bullshit. You can And, you, and, and the people around him are just like, oh, there he goes again, talking bullshit. Whereas the yeah. first mat, it doesn't feel like that. And similarly, the tone of the first series, I feel like the first series has really aged. When I watched that, I was like, oh my God, this has aged so much. But I didn't feel that much with the second series. And I think that's because of those cultural references, because he's Mm. singing along to the Manic Street Preachers and doing Reservoir Dogs pastiches. It feels really aged because of that stuff. Then your your non-cultural references, but things that signify the time period, like the the language used, the attitudes Mm -hmm. they have, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, it feels aged in a sense that you wouldn't quite do it the same way. But it doesn't feel, for example, that much different from the Inbetweeners that was 10 years later. Now we're a further 10, 15 years beyond. It's Now it's a bit much. But those last couple of series don't feel that 90s. Uh, quite as much, but yeah, it's certainly aged. I think you could show this though. I think you could show this on UK Gold these days. Do you? Can you say Arse Bandits on <laughs> UK a...
1: Gold? <laughs> no, I'm not sure you can. There's a scene where they're they're in the living room watching a film of Mandy having sex that Matthew was filmed without her consent. Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you. I don't think this is aged well at all. You know, we didn't talk about the when when Jason takes Matthew to a gay gym and all the <laughs> gay gym goers are working out topless with nipple rings. I mean (laughs) it's
0: so ridiculous. So ridiculous. Maybe I'm just I'm nostalgic for that life again. Well, I've, I, I mean, I must admit I had, I had kind of happy memories of this show and I thought, oh, I'm gonna glad I'm going to revisit it. And I knew I was setting myself up for a fall, but ultimately I enjoyed it. I think it's a really interesting journey. Those three series feel very different. And it's interesting to see them.
1: Yeah, and it's quite an easy one to
0: watch, kind of in very sort of a, a simple progression of a show.
1: I, it's interesting, you know, our usual routine here is you'll watch the whole thing and I watch a few episodes and increasingly I've been watching all of the episodes not, not like when we did Heidi High because there's 100 episodes but in this in this case there's 18 episodes and I watched them all and it was fine but I I I honestly can't say to our listeners oh I recommend it go and give it a watch I I
0: don't think it rewards 9 <laughs> hours of viewing I don't think it's worth your time if you watched it in the 90s and you've got this memory of it I think it's worth a little revisit
1: I think it I, I think it's worth leaving it well alone <laughs> I wish I had Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us as always. Our next episode is the result of our listener poll. We Mm. uh, wanted to pick an obscure '80s sitcom, and we gave our listeners a choice on social media. And the winner was Alan Chance in a Million. Chance in a Million, starring Shakespearean actor Simon Callow, not not, Cowell. I always get that wrong. (laughs) Simon Simon Callow, not Simon Cowell. And Brenda Blethin, who of Kate and Koji oh, yeah. fame and Oscar-winning fame, as uh, we recently did in our quiz. So, <laughs> so quite looking forward to watching that. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, again, I have a very vague memory of it from the 80s, watching it at the time. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, going through that with you.
0: Great. And in the meantime, Gareth, people can see us on social media, right? What are we Indeed, on? Indeed, yes. We're on Twitter and Instagram,
1: at BritComPod. Or oh, we've also got a Facebook page. If you just search for British Sitcom History Podcast, and we'll come up there.
0: And if you would like to see video versions of the podcasts with the little clips and things added in, as well as extra content, such as our sitcom spotlight videos in which we look at the highlights of Mm -hmm. an actor's sitcom career, go to YouTube and search for British Sitcom History. You'll find us on there as well. Thank you for listening, and we will
1: see you with Simon Callow, not Cowell, next week. Bye. Bye.